Welcome back, folks, to our eighth episode of season two of the Sixth Man Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Moskowitz, with co-host Joel Sharp. We are back for our weekly Premier League recap, in which we will discuss the new developments in the race for Champions League football and the relegation battle. But we begin today with Manchester City's two-year Champions League ban being overturned. Manchester City had previously received a 30 million euro fine and a two-year Champions League ban for falsifying their sponsorship revenue from 2011 to 2016 and obstructing UEFA's investigation into the matter. So Joel, what are your impressions of the Court of Arbitration for Sports' decision to overturn the ban? Yeah, hi Alex. I think it's a really interesting decision. Um, the Spiegel came out with articles in 2018 which alleged that Sheikh Mansour, the owner of Man City, allegedly disguised equity payments as part of inflated sponsorship deals. Uh, an allegation which was consistently denied by uh, everyone at Man City. Um, and the board has come out yesterday and said that there is no indication that City were guilty and um, therefore they are, they, are, they are not guilty of that. Uh, however, it does reflect very poorly on financial fair play. Um, Man City were looked for a truly independent panel to investigate this further, and they were proven right that what they had alleged was either untrue or had happened outside of the five-year statute of limitations set out by financial fair play. Now, this is the second time that this has happened. Uh, the first time was with PSG, and they also were found that their allegations were not within the five-year statute of limitations. Um, so you've got to ask, what is the, what is the, what is the point, therefore, of financial fair play if they cannot hold their own procedure um, that reflects what they deem as guilty. Um, and, you know, it, I think it's, it's a bad day for football in that regard. Obviously, it's a fantastic day for Pep Guardiola, for Man City. Um, this is really a huge uh, turning point, perhaps, for the future of Manchester City. The next two years would have looked very strange for them with the squad that they have not playing in the Champions League. Um, and obviously, you know, some of the losers of this outcome are financial fair play, UEFA, and obviously the other teams in the hunt for Champions League football, Wolves or lesser Wolves, but certainly Man United, Chelsea and Leicester. Yeah, I agree. Definitely a bad day for Manchester United, Chelsea and Leicester for sure. Especially Manchester United. I mean, they suffered a horrible day yesterday. You know, they had the opportunity to leapfrog Leicester and Chelsea into third, but they were operating under, under the presumption that you know, fifth place would be good enough anyway. So they were almost guaranteed to be in the Champions League. And now, you know, all three teams have had up, up and down seasons. And one will be, you know, the unfortunate, you know, the unfortunate loser here. And ultimately miss out on the Champions League money. Yeah. And also for me, another winner is Newcastle United. Because it's reported that the Saudi government is preparing to take over Newcastle United for 300 million pounds. And given that Man City did not get punished, and same with PSG, did not get punished for financial fair play, it looks likely that they'll be able to spend ridiculous sums of money on their, on their, on their club and rebuilding it in a similar way to the way that Man City did, you know, with a new training ground, new stadium. So they'll be able to pump 
tons of their own money into this project and make them make possibly make Newcastle the new man city of English football and create a power, a powerhouse up at up in Tyneside. So, so yeah, I think a huge, huge winner is Newcastle United, obviously indirectly and obviously, you know, Manchester United had a horrible day yesterday. Chelsea, Leicester both lost this weekend. So, you know, it's kind of a crawl to the finish at this point amongst those three teams. And it seems like all team, the, those all three teams are just punting the ball. They're like, you know, who's going to finally take control of this race and, you know, cement their spot in the Champions League. So, obviously, we were talking about the hunt for Champions League football. One of those teams in contention is Chelsea. So, Chelsea had a horrible weekend. They got absolutely thrashed by Sheffield United, three to nothing. Looked inept on offense and really discombobulated on defense. So, who is most to blame, Joel, for their defeat? The manager or the players? I think both have to take the share of the blame. Um, I mean, it's really symptomatic of Chelsea's season that there's two steps forward, one step, one step back for them, or sometimes the other way around. Um, and I think they've really got to both take the share of the blame. Lampard has. Uh, altered the formation from time to time. They started in a 4-4-2 instead of the 5-3-2, and they got overrun. Um, and defensively, from an individual point of view, those players have to look at themselves. Rudiger has to really look at himself after not only the Sheffield game, but particularly after the Sheffield game and think, you know, those goals, some of them were entirely preventable. Some of them just stemmed from poor individual performances. So... I think both have to take the share of the blame. Structurally, Chelsea's team often has this, this season has invited the counterattack. It's invited, you know, a team like Sheffield, who did it fantastically over the weekend, to hit them on the counterattack. And when you invite a team to hit you on the counterattack and you have the defensive liability that Rudik has shown that he has, that Christiansen also shown that he has, Aspilicueta looks solid, but past his best for sure, then the back four is easily exposed. So... I think it's it, both both sets. The manager and the players have to take the blame, and they have to. There has to be some sort of uh, symbiosis between the structure of the team and the uh, players and their individual errors to 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 figure out a way to to patch up some of these gaps. Chelsea are not a bad team by any by any stretch, but in order to really, you know, put themselves in that top four uh, and show that they're worth they're worth being there. There's, there's errors that need to be rectified as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree. I was, this was probably the most discouraged that I, that I felt after a Chelsea performance by, you know, by their team because they have always been good attacking. Even against the better sides, they've created plenty of chances. And against Sheffield United, I can think of one Tammy Abraham header at the back post that was a clear-cut chance. But other than that, it was basically they were, they were firing shots outside the box against a really good goalkeeper in Dean Henderson. So they didn't even really test him. So I don't know. I, I feel like obviously Chelsea have the deficiencies at the back, and I think a lot of those can be attributed to individual errors. You know, every goal 
could be attributed to an individual error. But in terms of the offense, they looked completely toothless too. They, they really lacked the, you know, I'd say the focus, the sharpness that has kind of characterized this Frank Lampard team, even in their defeats. They'd always look like they were threatening, you know, and they, I, like you talked about, they'd get hit on the counterattack and they lose the game, but they still would create some clear-cut chances. And, you know, Pulisic looked a little bit tired. And outside of him, it looked like they really were devoid of ideas. So I have to blame the manager. You know, they're right in the thick of the Champions League fight. And for them to come out so flat on both sides of the ball and get absolutely destroyed, like, it should have been 4 nothing. At least Moussa should have finished it off at the end. But they were destroyed by Sheffield United. It was a resounding victory. So for them to get overrun on both sides of the ball, I feel like the manager does deserve a little more of the blame. Yeah, uh, I, think you, I think you make some good points there. Uh, I think Frank Lampard really has to look at that performance. And you're right, they were toothless in attack. They looked devoid of confidence. And it introduced a perhaps problem that to Chelsea, which hasn't been so apparent in recent weeks, is that if Pulisic is tired, if he's unfit, if he doesn't turn up one game, they, uh, they, they looked very devoid of creativity. You know, he is by far their best player, um, especially in the last few weeks. And it really showed that when, you know, I, I think it's probably a fitness, uh, just due to the, the amount of games they played since lockdown ended, um, since the restart, I think it really showed um, that without Pulisic, they, they can struggle. And I think that is down to Frank to harness the creativity in other players in their team, in Barkley, uh, in Tammy, in Giroud, in Willian. Um, and it wasn't there against Sheffield at all. Yeah, and it also looked like Mason Mount and Pulisic were getting, they were getting in each other's way. They were kind of occupying the same space. And... It was making it, obviously Pulisic didn't have his best off, but it was making it really hard for Pulisic to get matched up one-on-one against George Baldock and take him on. Because that's a, that's a matchup, you know, if you get that, you know, three or four times in a game, you figure that you're going to create at least two chances. And they weren't able to isolate George Baldock on Christian Pulisic because Mason Mount was drawing the defense to Pulisic and playing in that same area. So, Obviously, they changed it up at halftime, went to a 5-3-2. It was a little better, but I don't know. I, I wasn't impressed with Frank Lampard. I think he showed, you know, why it's his first season in the Premier League, and we'll see. Obviously, he's experiencing growing pains as a manager as well as this young Chelsea team. You know, he's, experience, he's experience, experiencing it in accordance. He's going through it with them. So, you know, we'll see if he matures. We'll see if he gets better as a manager. But this was a, it was a low performance for both Frank Lampard and the players. So moving on to another team in the Champions League race, Manchester United. They suffered a heartbreaking draw on Monday. And they were up 2-1 going into the 96th minute. And somehow they let Michael Obafemi get in at the back post and poke in a 
an equalizer in the sixth minute of stoppage time. So how far can this United team go? Yeah, it was a really disheartening defeat. Uh, sorry, draw um, for... It felt United. like a defeat. It really felt yeah. like a defeat. Um, the other day. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm Oli, I'm actually going to look at that and think, you know what, it's fine. Uh, you know, it, it is really disheartening. However, I still think Man United uh, are very much in the race and perhaps by form in the pole position out of those three teams to be in the Champions League. And looking to next year, I personally think they can, you know, they're not maybe up there, but they can challenge around the area of Man City, Liverpool. If they have a happy and healthy Pogba, you know, he's been creating nearly three chances every 90 minutes, um, the most of any central midfielder at the moment in, in Europe's top five leagues. And if you continue and compound the improvement of Martial, Rashford and Greenwood, if they continue to play together as they, as they currently are, um, you know, Martial and Rashford's link-up play for the first Man United goal, for Rashford's goal, was unbelievable. Um, and I think they can put some pressure on City and Liverpool. They aren't there yet. They need depth in the squad, both in attack and defence. Um, and the draw against Southampton was a big blow. It shows, you know, there's a, there's a common phrase that, that uh, pundits will say that, you know, it's the teams who win when they're not playing at their best who really show sort of their, their mental attitude and mental strength. And United were about 60 seconds from having that result uh, uh, on the weekend against Southampton, you know. And football is a game of margins. Had that goal not gone in from Obafembi, we would have been saying, wow, what a resilient, strong performance from Man United, finishing the game with 10 men um, due to injury. Uh, but that's not the way it worked. But I think there's still so many positives to take out of this season. And I think next year, United should be seen as, as a force. Uh, you know, we'll have to see how the transfer window goes. Obviously, there's lingering rumours about Jadon uh, Sancho, which would be a humongous win for Manchester United. Um, and, you know, Liverpool have shown some cracks towards the end of the season. Um, Man United are, since Bruno Fernandes joined, uh, I believe they're top of the table uh, since the... 15th of January or uh, whenever he whenever he joined. And that is how their second half of the season, their form has looked like. So, you know, I only hope for Man United that they can go on and, and propel themselves further next year. Yeah, I was thinking while that game was winding down, I was thinking, man, I'm going to come on the podcast. I'm going to talk about Man United's improvement in terms of maturity. The fact that they could get it done, even though they were playing pretty poorly for their standards, especially based on recent form. And then, you know, obviously it exposed, in my opinion, one of their glaring weaknesses, which is at that center back position next to Harry Maguire. Because Lindelof was not good enough. He was not physical enough. Obafemi got inside of him and poked it in at the back post. And that's an easily preventable thing to correct. But, you know, those, those, are, those are moments that make or break your season. And just the way that that goal went in, I, I hope United have the maturity to, you know, move past this defeat. And I think they do, given that they've grown so much as a team and they've experienced incredible hardship this season. You know, 
back like back before this incredible run with Bruno Fernandez, they were sitting on their worst points total in 30 plus years. So they've gone through the ringer this season. So I feel like they can bounce back. And I personally think United are where Liverpool were two years ago. So before last season, when they went toe to toe against Man City, obviously added Van Dyke, added Allison. I feel like they're right there because you looked at that Liverpool team and you saw Mane, Salah, Firmino, probably one of the best top three, one of the best front threes in the world. You said, man, they score so many goals, but they also concede all the time. They make individual errors with their goalkeeper. They replaced Loris Karius with one of the best goalkeepers in the world in Allison, and it made a huge difference. So United, you look at Martial, Rashford, and Greenwood, they've scored more goals as a front three than Ronaldo Dybala and Higuain, Salah, Mane, and Firmino, and Messi, Suarez, and Fati. They are one of the best top – they're one of the best front threes in the entire world at this point. And they're all under the age of 25. So there's a lot of room to grow there. But United do need to add depth, and it showed. Because their bench, you know, Man City have Phil Foden coming off the bench and David Silva. Phil Foden would be a starter for United. So they still need to add some quality off the bench. And I think it comes down to, you know, continuing to get their transfer signings right. Because for so long, United had stumbled in the transfer window. They'd done horribly. Those horribly overpriced players in Di Maria, Sanchez. Falcao. Falcao. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I think that's taken a toll on their depth. But the fact that Ole got these past two windows right with Dan James, Maguire, Juan Bissaka, and Fernandez, and obviously helping Greenwood mature, I think that is position Man United to challenge Man City and Liverpool next year. Not necessarily top them, but if you add another right winger, Sancho, Sancho the recent rumor was Federico Chiesa of Fiorentina. He's a good, solid player. Not Definitely not Sancho, but can definitely add something to their attack. So I think that would put United in the same stratosphere as City and Liverpool. Not necessarily you know, allow them to go above them, but in the same league. Because right now they're not in the same league, and that's just a fact. So moving on to the North London Derby, we saw Arsenal against Spurs this past weekend. Arsenal started off strong. Lacazette fired in an absolute banger. And then Tottenham exposed Arsenal's deficiencies on defense and ultimately scored two goals in the second half, or no, sorry. Sorry, one goal right after Arsenal scored and then scored a late winner in the 80th minute. So in your opinion, of these two North London clubs, who is in a worse state, Arsenal or Spurs? Um, I'm going to have to go with Spurs uh, with this one. Uh, neither, neither side are in a, in a great shape. You know, having... that's, that's not because you're an Arsenal fan, right? Yes, <laughs> only slightly biased. Um, but uh, having watched the North London derby, it was it was flat. It was uninspiring. 
Um, neither team looked at their best. Uh, but Arsenal, for the first 20 minutes, we were grinding. We were grinding out a good performance. Not a great performance, but we were grinding out a good performance and a fantastic solo goal from Lacazette. Um, rifled into the top corner um, was was really welcome. Uh, we, you know, we at that point we one nil up at Spurs. Things could be going well, but when you have the defenders that we have in Kolasinac, Mustafi, and David Luiz, the, the errors will come. You know, yeah, it's just a matter of time. I don't yeah. know when they'll come. It's just a matter of time. But at, at some point they'll come. And Son, as human Son does, is a fantastic player catalyzed on it and at that point the game changed uh, and you know Spurs grew into the game Arsenal grew out of the game and uh, ultimately we were outdone from a set piece as we have been done countless times this season but in terms of the long-term future of each club I think Spurs are in a worse position uh, I think Arteta has more promise than Mourinho does um, obviously Mourinho has all the history and the experience um, but Arteta is a young hungry coach who looks like he's trying to make an imprint on the football club. Uh, football club. He looks like he is trying to um, assert his vision, his footprint on this Arsenal team. And Spurs don't look like they have that anymore. They don't play the good attacking football that they were you know, so successful for under uh, Mauricio Pochettino. And also, if you could look at the ages of each respective squad, at Arsenal, you have loads of young uh, teenagers, but notably Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli are two really young, exciting talents. Um, and I can't understate that enough that I think they're two of the most exciting prospects in the Premier League. You know, two teenagers. And Tottenham, you look at their squad and you think, where's the potential for growth? You would argue that most of their best players don't look like they're playing their best anymore. You know, uh, Harry Kane is, is a fantastic striker, hasn't looked at it this year. Deli Alley has gone missing parts of the season, whether it be through injury or his form on the pitch. Uh, they, don't, they never really found a creative spark to replace Ericsson. Um, you know, they've still got players like Lamella, Adewereld, who look like they're past their best. Um, and I think Mourinho doesn't have it anymore, doesn't have what it takes anymore to turn this squad around. I think he was placed as a stopgap by Daniel Levy to stop the club going into free fall after Pochettino left. And he hasn't even really done that, uh, to be honest. And I think Mourinho, when he leaves Tottenham, will leave it in a place that was either the same or worse than when Pochettino left. Whereas I strongly believe that when Arteta leaves Arsenal, and I hope it's not for many years, leaves us in a far better place. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think Spurs are in a worse state personally. Because you look at what Mourinho has done he kind of destroyed Manchester United. He didn't really win anything. They were in shambles when they replaced him with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Like, all of their best players wanted to leave. And then you look at the goal that Daniel Levy had in mind when he replaced Pochettino with Mourinho. And I think it centered around the fact that Spurs still hadn't won a trophy. They hadn't won the FA Cup, the League Cup, anything under Pochettino, even though they'd experienced probably the greatest run of success in their club history, like got to the Champions League final, finished second in the league, and they were a consistent presence 
amongst the Champions League. So I think he wanted to win a trophy, and it looks like they're not even close to contending for anything because, like you said, they have an aging defense. Aldevarald, Vertonghen's past his prime. And realistically, they have very little to money. Both, both clubs have very little money to spend. But Arteta has a willingness. Mourinho has never shown a willingness to develop young players and have the patience to stick with them during their ultimate periods of, you know, their growth, their growth periods. You know, the, the bumps that happen, the bumps along the road that happen with young players just generally. And Arteta seems to be willing to work with younger players and develop them. And also given the fact that that wasn't his expressed goal from coming in. Like Mourinho, they brought him in to win trophies and he won't, he won't be willing to, you know, experience those bumps in the road along with the, the squad's younger players. So in my opinion, it's clear that Spurs are in the worst position. Obviously, they spent huge this summer, and none of those signing, none of those signings except I like Steven Bergvine, who they signed in the winter, but none of those signings look like good signings. Obviously, they spent huge money on their new stadium. Arsenal are still suffering from the fact that they spent such big money on Emirates and they're still paying for it obviously in the form of not being able to make the big money signings that Man City, Man United, and Liverpool have been able to, and it's caused them to fall behind. But Arsenal have shown a willingness to bring teenagers from the youth setup to the first team and allow them to grow naturally, make mistakes, and then ultimately become successful. And Bakayo Saka is the perfect example, like you talked about. 18-year-old, one of the most promising young players in England. So Arsenal have huge problems in the back. Like you said, I mean, they're back. I mean, there's so many question marks in center midfield with Ceballos. Is he going to stay? Because realistically, he's one of their only good players, Ceballos. And then you have the defense, which, I mean, Mustafi, the funny thing is, he looked good for 60 minutes. And then it was like a light, like it was just like the error switch was flipped in his head. And that switch in his mind just told him to lunge in at everything and revert back to the defender that made you say in the last episode that he should seek a different profession. Yeah, I did say that. And honestly, that last 30 minutes of that Tottenham game, I went right the worst defending I've ever seen in my life. I went, yeah, I went right back. Yes. Um, and I mean, Kolasinac's pass to David Luiz for the first goal. I mean, he's passing on his weak foot to David Luiz's weak foot, passing inside the player, not outside the player. You're inviting Son, who's two or three times as fast as David Luiz, to run onto it. I mean, it was, I mean, these are things that you know you're taught as like an eight year old as a defender. And David Luiz is 33, and Kolasinac is in his late 20s, I think. And, and, and they don't know this, this stuff. So the defensive errors are there, but 
you got to, as an Arsenal fan, I got to hope that the potential is more there for us than it, than it is for Spurs. Um, and, you know, hopefully William Saliba, a young 19-year-old defender from Sinetian comes in and uh, hopefully he is the real deal um, and he's a good player. Um, we have a lot of injuries right now defensively, but we need some better players. You know, I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed with excitement about Callum Chambers returning from injury, for example. Um, we, need, we need some better defenders. For sure. Yeah, I I agree, but at least the structure has been established by Arteta, and I feel like Mourinho has not, you know, the clean sheets that have classified Mourinho's teams in the past are not there, and his teams have never played good attacking football. So I feel like you're getting the worst of Mourinho and not the best in Spurs, and I think he's going to you know, set back Spurs for a long time. And I think Arteta's building something, despite the individual errors. So, moving on from two teams outside of the top four at the moment to our predictions for the top four race. So, obviously with City's ban, fifth place was slated to get Champions League football. But now it's not the case. So, what are, who, what, what are your, who, who do you think will make the third and fourth place in the Premier League and ultimately secure Champions League football of Man United, Chelsea, and Leicester? For me, I think it's going to be Man United and Chelsea. Uh, I watched Leicester's In that order? In that order. In that order, I think it will be Man United and then Chelsea. Um, I think that Leicester have the most difficult fixtures. They're playing Sheffield... Tottenham and Man United. I don't know if they're going to get more than two points from the nine available there. Um, they look like they are really struggling. I mean, they capitulated in stunning fashion against Bournemouth the other day, a 4-1 defeat. And they looked... And Bournemouth probably haven't scored four goals this season. And all it took was an error from Kasper Schmeichel um, and then a penalty to be, to be given, and the team collapsed. And Didi couldn't get a control on the midfield like he once had. Um, and without, you know, Vardy, you know, was not looking at his best. And I just think they're going to really struggle. I think they, have, they are hitting a bad patch of form at the worst possible time. Whereas Man United, in complete reverse with the exception of the win against, or the, sorry, the draw to Southampton, have looked like they're reaching the form of their season uh, since lockdown was lifted. Um, and I think that Chelsea is, you know, somewhere in between the two. Um, but their fixtures are most favourable. You know, they're playing Norwich late today. I can't see that being anything other than a win for Chelsea, especially given that Norwich have now been relegated. They're going to Liverpool. And then on the final day of the season, they're playing at home to Wolves. And I think when it comes down to that final game of the season, Chelsea will have something to fight for. And Wolves may have something to fight for in the form of Europa League. But I think that Chelsea will come away from that game with a win. Um, and I think two wins from those last three games will be enough given Leicester's uh, fixtures. So I think it's really... the, the I almost think that... Leicester also have less pressure 
um, having, despite having been in the top four since I think September, I think they will have less pressure just purely because of the stature of the club. That if they finish fifth, it will still be seen as a good season for Leicester. It won't be seen as a what they wanted two months ago or six months ago, um, but they can still walk away with their heads heads held heads held proud that they. They achieved something good in getting the Europa League. I can't imagine at the start of the season, the board wanted anything more than the Europa League. I can't imagine that was a realistic target for them. Um, whereas Man United and Chelsea right now are have a strong determination. And you can see it in Man United's performance. You can sometimes see it in Chelsea's performance, depending what day of the week it is, that, yeah. that, that I think that those two teams prevail. Yeah, I agree. Leicester have hit a brick wall. And the fact that Chilwell is injured, Madison is injured, Soyan Chu received the red card, so he's out for the entire rest of the season. He's their best defender. I mean, they are in huge trouble. Obviously, coupled with the fact that they have the toughest remaining schedule of the three teams competing for Champions League football in Sheffield United a really good team that dominated Chelsea. Then you have Tottenham, who still have quality, especially up in attack. And then the final game of the season against Man United. So I agree with you. I mean, Man United, man, they had a golden opportunity Monday afternoon. Uh, sorry, Monday afternoon to cement their place in the Champions League. They, w- they wouldn't have even had to worry about the final day against Leicester, realistically. Because they would have went two points up on Leicester and one point up on Chelsea. And Man United have the easiest remaining schedule. They're playing at Crystal Palace and home against West Ham. So it would have been a done deal. They would have finished third. Sayonara. Moving on to next season. Jaden Sancho, here we come. And that's it. But... With their draw against Southampton, it makes it more complicated. And given the injuries that they sustained during that period, Luke Shaw suffering an ankle injury, Brandon Williams a cut on his eye. So now who are you, who are you playing at left back? Despite the injury problems that Man United may have now, based, like I said last episode, Leicester don't have the depth of a top four side. They just don't. And now they're going to have to play 36-year-old Wes Morgan in place of Soyuncu. And without Chilwell and Madison, where, where, where are goals going to come from? Like, Vardy can't score every single game. He can't score two goals every single game. And their defense does not look solid enough to get it done. So I agree with you. It's clear for me, Man United third, Chelsea fourth, and Leicester, despite their incredible start to the season, I think, I think they'll miss out on, on the biggest prize of them all, Champions League football. So from the top of the table to the bottom, we're going to look at the relegation race. Right now, they're with Norwich, officially relegated, even though that was kind of a foregone conclusion before their loss to West Ham, but now they're mathematically eliminated from staying up. You have four teams 
fighting for two spots. If West Ham 34 points, Watford 34 points, Bournemouth 31 points, and Villa in 19th at 30 points. So, what are your predictions for the bottom of the table? Who is going to stay up? So, I mean, common sense and logic would say that West Ham and Watford are going to stay up. They have 34 points apiece in comparison to 31 at Bournemouth, 30 at Villa. That being said, I really liked the look of Bournemouth's performance against Leicester. It was the first time in several, several games that I've seen Bournemouth play with some real confidence, some real purpose. Um, you know, Eddie Howe has struggled to get anything out of that team this year, struggled to get anything out of that team. Um, but, I mean, Dominic Salake popped up with a brace. His second goal was actually extremely skillful uh, and a great, a great piece of, a great goal. Um, and, you know, it often takes these moments. You know, I think back to sort of Jermaine Defoe at Sunderland, uh, and other sort of similar comeback escapes, you know. And I was watching the Bournemouth game thinking that perhaps this is the moment for the great escape for Bournemouth. Um, obviously, they have a game against Ban City tomorrow, which you can only assume is going to be a loss. But then at home to Southampton and away against Everton at the last game of the season, I look at those two games and I think, is, can the spectacular happen? Uh, can they... Can they uh, prove prove the prove the haters wrong? Uh, but that being said, uh, I do think Villa uh, have uh, got to go down. Um, they looked really really bad, um, and they just don't look like they they're going to do it for me. Um, and I think West Ham have interesting games because they're going to play. Watford and Aston Villa in the next two games. So West Ham really may be the decider of everything. You know, if West Ham remains strong against Watford and against Aston Villa, then I've got no doubt that they'll be that they'll be safe. But if West Ham slip up, and I don't think they will because David Moyes is experienced, he's a good coach, um, and I think they'll be fine. And um, so really, for me, it's between Watford and Bournemouth. Uh, out, of, out of the team who will be safe and who will not be. Now, on last week's episode, I, I distinctly remember saying that Watford will absolutely go down. And for that, Villa. For Villa. For Villa. I, I do, and, not Bournemouth. And Alex disagreed with me avidly. And I was wrong in that regard that Watford didn't have any fight left in them. They do have fight left in them. Um, but that being said, they're playing West Ham. Huge game. Watford Huge game. Um, and then they're playing Man City and Arsenal on the final game of the season. Now, given that Man City have nothing left to fight for, Arsenal, given the news about Manchester City, don't have much left to fight for. Um, it'll be interesting to see if on those final two games they can, they can conjure some spirit. But I think it's looking to be really interesting. And I think these games that... West Ham have against Watford and then against Aston Villa on the final day of the season are, are pivotal in the relegation battle. Yeah, in my opinion, I think if Watford lose against West Ham, I think they're going down. I think Bournemouth will conduct the great escape if Watford lose against West Ham. And obviously that game is a toss-up. We'll see what happens. But 
you know, you look at against Manchester City, that could be a 5-0 loss. Watford have struggled mightily against Manchester City over the years. The styles just do not match up. And then Arsenal still do have a little bit left to fight for because they want Europa League. That is some money in and of itself. They don't want to miss out on Europe completely. And right now they're sitting in ninth place behind Tottenham. Yeah. So um, Arsenal still have some stuff left to fight for. And like, you know, you look at Arteta and the mentality that he's trying to establish. There's no way he's going to take it easy. There's no way on the final day, given how poorly Arsenal have performed this season, how below standards they have performed, that he is going to put out a soft squad. He's going to put out his best squad and he's going to demand the best from them. So you look at Bournemouth, you say, obviously their goal difference could, could prove pivotal because they're negative 24. Watford is negative 21. So you figure they'll probably lose by three plus goals against Manchester City and who knows how many they'll lose by at Arsenal. I personally think it will come down to the margin of defeat for each, time, each team against Manchester City. If Bournemouth, I don't think they're going to beat Manchester City. I don't think they're even going to tie. But if they even lose by one goal and then beat Southampton or Everton and they finish with the same amount of points as Watford, that, I mean, that goal difference, that game against Manchester City and the margin of victory that Manchester City build up against each team will prove huge. So, in my opinion, if Watford don't get a point against West Ham, I think Bournemouth is staying up. I think Villa are long gone. But I think West Ham and Bold, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Bournemouth are going to stay up. And Eddie Howe will have conducted the great escape. So, moving from the bottom of the table, we're going to move to the top, where Liverpool are on 93 points in 35 games. So, the previous record for the amount of points compiled in a single Premier League season is Manchester City in 2017-2018 with 100 points. So, Joel, do you think Liverpool will break that record? I think they may tie with that record, to be honest. Um, they've got, there are 93 points right now, uh, which means two wins and a draw would take them to 100. Liverpool's next game is against Arsenal uh, tomorrow night. And I think that that will be a win for them. But at the same time, uh, I can see them, and then they're playing Chelsea. And on the final day of the season, they are playing Newcastle. And I think out of the, I think they'll beat Newcastle. Um, but I think out of the games against Chelsea and Arsenal, especially given that Chelsea have actually put in some really good performances against the top six this year, I think you'll find that Chelsea might get a draw out of that game. Or probably not, but Arsenal might get a draw out of that game. Um, I don't think they're getting nine points in their final uh, three games. Um, but I think they will at least tie the record, is my, is my opinion. I completely agree with you. I think they will draw one of Arsenal or Chelsea. 
And Newcastle isn't a pushover. They defend resolutely. They set up in that block, and they're able to hit you with pace on the counterattack. So if Liverpool let their guard down for that final game, I could see them not even making it to the 100-point mark, which seemed like a foregone conclusion when they were undefeated prior to the Watford game. But I agree with you. I think ultimately they will tie the record. They'll have a draw against Arsenal or Chelsea. They'll beat Newcastle. And they will go down as one of the best Premier League teams in history. Absolutely. So, record, record or no record. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Teams. So from Liverpool, we go to Wolves, a team currently on the outside looking in of the Champions League picture. But despite the fact they are four points back of Manchester United, they sit firmly in sixth place. And they've had a successful season, considering they were just promoted last season. They finished seventh that season and sixth this season. So they've had a really good run of it in the Premier League. So my question is, will they repeat the success that they have experienced this year and the year prior? Will they carry that over to next year? Yes. I personally believe that this Wolves team is not a team of average players who are playing very well. This is a team of actually extremely talented players under a very talented and organized coach um, who has got them playing in a really good system. I mean, if you look at their team, Raul Jimenez, 25 goals this season. Adam Traore is one of... He's a beast. Uh, he's, he's a, a tank. Beast. Yeah, he's frighteningly fast, frighteningly strong. Uh, Farmutinho, Ruben Neves... Um, this is a good team. You know, these are, it, it's a little bit different to the way I view Sheffield. Sheffield, I view that they play extremely good football together and uh, that the sum of the parts is much better than the individual players. That's, you know, why, Wol- that's how I... Wolves have full-blown internationals in their squad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, has... Yeah, yeah I mean... Number yeah. for Portugal. Um, and another interesting thing about the team that I've heard is that most of the team is Portuguese or Brazilian. So they've created a, a, a slight little culture there um, where a lot of the players speak the same language. Um, they all get along. They're all culturally similar. And I think it's worked really well to their advantage. And Espirito Santo has done extremely well in cultivating that into fantastic football on the pitch. So I think the next year assuming they keep hold of at least most of their good players and maybe they add some defensive strength. I do not see any reason why they won't be challenging their Europa League. They won't be sitting right around Arsenal next year and challenging for those Europa League spots. Yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, like you talked about the Portuguese connection, they have a pipeline built with um, Portuguese super agents the agent of, of Cristiano Ronaldo, Jorge Mendes, and, or Mendes, sorry, Jorge Mendes. And he was the one who funneled Jao Moutinho, Rui Patricio, Ruben Neves, and, um, and Raul Jimenez from the Portuguese clubs. Obviously, Rui Patricio from Sporting Lisbon and um, Raul Jimenez from Benfica. So, Combined with the, the toughness, the English toughness of Connor Cody, the captain in the middle, 
they have a good blend of skill, you know, finesse and power. And I think I agree with you. I think they will finish in a similar spot to the, to where they are now. Obviously they have Chinese owners. They have money behind them strong financially. They have a great, um, you know, great fans, great stadium. But what does scare me is they have a little, they, they don't have too much depth in that squad. Obviously they have a really good starting lineup with Traore, like you pointed out, Jimenez, Neves, Moutinho, but they only used 20 players in the Premier League, which was the least amount of players used by any team this year. So there may have been some luck with injuries that could have contributed to their success this year. Obviously, they're 10th in the league in shots. I mean, they're a good team, but they're not creating that many chances. They're capitalizing, and that is a skill in and of itself. But I read some article on Bleacher Report recently that, you know, they're next in line for the Champions League. And that's, that's a load of bullshit, realistically. It's crap. I think they will ultimately finish where they are now, in a Europa League spot. They'll continue to progress. They have money behind them, so they should add some stuff. They should add some quality players. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think they'll finish in a similar spot. So, thank you so much for listening, guys. We will be back next week to recap all of the Premier League news. Good night. Thank you.